This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89FM. My name is Andrew Graham, and we've got another COVID episode for you today. I know that's a very tired subject. I am certainly tired of talking about it myself, but it did feel necessary to take at least a quick look at where things stand in the pandemic as the Omicron wave recedes, kind of look at how far we've come, and take a look at kind of where things might be headed. So I'm going to have a conversation with Eli's Emily Joan Elliott later on that. She's covered a lot of the pandemic for us. And before we get into that, you'll hear a very brief soundbite from Ingham County Health Officer Linda Vale, just talking about how she kind of thinks we are perhaps on the tail end of this Omicron wave, similar to flu season and the improving weather and all of those sorts of things. So you're going to hear a little bit from Ingham County Health Officer Linda Vale, then we'll get straight into a discussion between me and Emily. At the end, there's a bit of a news roundup. And I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you find this helpful. I know, I think we're all ready to be done talking about COVID, but it does feel like it warrants another one, at least one more discussion at this point. So without further ado, here is Health Officer Linda Vale. Yes, I think that, you know, as we get to the point, you know, it's the end of February. Typically, you know, flu season, for example, is technically declared over April 1. Might there be some flu cases after April 1? Yes, but you see the flu, the typical flu season is designated by by the CDC is October 1 to April 1. And so as we move through February and March, I would I would anticipate that these numbers would continue to decline. I'm joined now by Eli's acting executive director and reporter of many things and my boss, Emily Joan Elliott. Emily, how you doing? Good. Thank you for having me on today, Andrew. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we are bringing Emily on because she's, of course, a doctorate in you know, Russia. In, I don't know the specifics, but no, we are we are not going to be having a deep Russia-Ukraine conversation as much as that would be fascinating. We're going to talk about COVID, which I know is a very tired subject at this point for obvious reasons, but it it's not going away no matter how much we decide it's done or not. So... I guess first things first, Emily, in recent weeks, it's kind of been an unwinding or a winding back of the Omicron wave. Um, I attended the Ingham County Health Department's briefing earlier this week on Tuesday, and we're winding down. But I think the context that kind of got lost in it all is Omicron's winding down, but Omicron winding down means case levels that were higher than some of the highest levels of the Delta wave and stuff like that. Granted, it's different now because lots of people are vaccinated and the death rate's much lower, but I think it's that kind of fact got lost on me that the current state is being viewed as so much better than it has been. And it's actually by just pure caseload basis, still worse than some of the worst of previous waves. And I was like, that's just, it's amazing how fast what's bad has changed, I think. That has struck me too, Andrew, because... Our numbers, I mean, if you look, the current wave is kind of like this very steep mountain where it was looks almost like a straight line up and then a straight line down. And if 
I'm not mistaken, in Michigan, not in Ingham County specifically, it's between 1,500 and 2,000 cases a day the last time I checked, which wasn't today or yesterday. I should let our listeners to know. And it's Wednesday, February 23rd, when we're speaking to each other. But those numbers once upon a time were very scary to us. But the difference I think now is we're eligible to receive vaccines and at this point boosters. But I think we should also note this month, the Department of Defense sent a team of 25 workers to Sparrow to help assist them and hospitalizations have gone down. But our hospitals only a few weeks ago were really beyond capacity. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's the real where the pandemic continues to truly rage because as much as we we were talking before we recorded and we'll get into this it's you go to the grocery store you go out get a cup of coffee whatever and it's it's pretty normal i mean there will be people wearing masks and you know you can sort of we're in a stage where it's kind of up to the individual to choose their own level of precaution and sort of limit themselves of what do i feel comfortable doing what level of do i want to wear a mask when i'm doing it while that kind of all happened for all of us in the ICUs in the hospital, and you know they still have the COVID wards, and it's just as bad as it was during Omicron as it was before anybody was vaccinated, because you only need some portion of the population to be unvaccinated or you know susceptible to this illness in some way to really overwhelm a hospital when seventy percent of us are just kind of going on as normal. So it was this this weird dichotomy almost of, I would say at the beginning of the pandemic, we all felt it because I think we all felt at risk. I would hope to some extent. And I think that through our own actions and to a good extent is gone. You know, I don't, I do not feel nearly as much at risk about COVID being vaccinated and boosted. And I know I can wear a mask and protect myself and there's all those sorts of things, but that's a really good point you bring up of, as much as things might seem fine to us, until the hospitals and healthcare systems aren't being overwhelmed by this, I don't know when this pandemic's actually done, so to speak. Yeah, and I think we all are experiencing the pandemic fatigue, because once upon a time, I check the statistics every day for both the state or I mean, for national, the state, for Ingham County. And I was speaking to another reporter earlier this morning. And I think you also see the ebb and flow of Eli's reporting on COVID. When it first started, it felt like every article I wrote was about COVID. And even government reporting, reporting on small businesses, you couldn't escape putting COVID-19 in your articles. And we really did cover the vaccination push. We did some investigative reporting about availability. We made a one-stop shop of finding out about vaccine locations and who could get them then and what the system looked like. And then our COVID reporting really fell off. And with the Omicron surge, it came back, but it was certainly our reporting wasn't at our April 2020 level in terms (laughs) of engaging with the pandemic as well. And I think we feel the fatigue of checking in on the numbers does sometimes feel so exhausting, but I think some of us don't feel as fearful of the virus now that we know what works. Doctors and physicians and public health officials have a better idea of treatment and the vaccine is out there is probably the crucial factor. 
yeah, it's it's really something that it's kind of like it's a lot like any other, you know, potentially seasonal, dangerous, but treatable disease kind of at this point now of it's something to be taken seriously and not something that uh, whatever it's 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 like the flu it's you don't want it it's not gonna be fun and you should take your precautions against it but we have i this is my my opinion but i would think i sort of am near the middle of the bell curve on this one that we we have the things we need mostly to be able to live normally so to speak that's a very operative term and that's kind of what i want to get into now of you know i i went grocery shopping earlier this week and i wore my mask just because that's frankly it's force of habit at this point i don't even think about it and some people are wearing masks some people aren't some people who like employees at certain places now are masked or unmasked and i don't you know, i don't have a particular opinion on it either way like it doesn't you know in april 2020 seeing people with the mask before under their nose it's like come on like this is that hard like what are you doing and like now it's just like not that big of a deal to me and I, that's just me obviously but it's kind of it's very interesting now how the things that were kind of like i can't believe that uh, wear your mask and whatever and that kind of stuff has very much moved to the periphery and that you know it's not in our conscience as much anymore, I guess. And we're just not consciously thinking about it as much. And I think that to me is the most like normal thing of all. It's just, it's not this thing, like you said, it's dominating our day-to-day -day lives anymore. Yeah. I think in Michigan, the political will has changed too. Like I have Absolutely. family in New York and in North Carolina. And when I was in North Carolina in May, I thought masking was very good. And most stores, when you walked into them, there was a table with masks made available to you. And I was there when the CDC changed its guidance on masking. And the next day we went and nobody was wearing a mask and people <laughs> were just following the rules there. Right. In New York, there had been more stringent masking given how the pandemic had hit so hard there at various points. And I know we were discussing earlier, Andrew, how in Michigan, there really haven't been official state mandates. There's been recommendations of, we think it's a good idea for you to wear a mask, but no official enforcement. I notice the same things as you. You'll notice certain businesses have signs. I went to MSUFCU this morning and I saw a sign encouraging people to wear masks. There were masks available at the counter, but there was a patron there without a mask on and there was no reprimand or ask to yeah. leave either. And I went to a coffee shop in East Lansing and there had been a sign encouraging masking given the high numbers in Ingham County. And the reporter I met up with said those signs were new. <laughs> they hadn't been up during the Omicron surge at its worst. So I can't verify that, but I found that interesting. And I think something about masking that has changed is the quality of masks yes. we can procure now. So I think in April 2020, for example, everyone wearing a mask was important because it was the idea of these were lower quality, low grade right. masks, and it was to just keep your own germs in your own face. Right Now I could wear a KN95 or an N95 to the grocery store. And if other people aren't masked, that's a high quality mask that'll probably keep me safe. And I know as part of the federal program, 
uh, that the Biden administration put out. I do see at, you know, Walmart and Meyer, you could pick up your three high grade masks to wear as well. Yeah. And I know there's still plenty of, they're not obviously the highest quality, but when I went into a uh, cover city council on Tuesday night, there were some kids coming in for some sports recreation thing at Hannah. I don't know entirely what it was and they didn't have masks and they just went up to the front desk and they just had boxes of surgical masks and just gave them a couple each. And it was like, it's just, it's, it's funny to me how that's become like hand sanitizer almost <laughs> of like, yeah, it's over. Just go get some in the corner if you need it. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny too. Cause it's, I think the political will point is really accurate in terms of how it proceeded. Cause I think the, was there any point where masks were actually mandated at a state level? I'm not, My, I'm not entirely certain about that, but it was brief if it was. I believe it was at different points. I think it might have, I think at some point in spring 2020, because I do remember right. hearing a story out in Diamonddale, which is a suburb of Western on the West, a suburb of Lansing on the West side. Um, there Your was side, a stabbing yeah. at a QD when yes. a patron was asked to wear their mask. Yes, um, I do remember that. That feels one, like ancient history. Yeah, one, I think it might have been res relaxed and then strengthened, but really since the CDC rolled back its guidelines in May 2021, we definitely have not had anything official statewide and locally. Um, and you might have discussed this last week with Al Hargrave. The only local mandate from Ingham County Health Department was regarding schools and masking, right. and that was rescinded um, given the availability of vaccine, that schools didn't seem to be a hot spot of spread. But I, my understanding is that Ingham County Health Department is still recommending masking. They're just not going to enforce it. Yeah, and East Lansing Public Schools is continuing through mid-April with that and then reevaluating. Yeah, I attended the the briefing on yesterday, Tuesday, February 22nd, and there was no sort of grand proclamation from Health Officer Linda Vale about you know what schools should be doing with masks. But it's basically I would the general operational theory I would guess would be that they are not required. They are still a good idea um, kind of thing, which I think we all kind of it's kind of where we're all at right now. Of They're not required, but they can be a good idea, especially given, you know, whatever context we know to be true. Right. I know the last briefing I attended was in January and at that point. Omicron was at its kind of all-time high in our area, and Linda Vale had said that given just the number of cases, the way the health department was approaching it, something like contact tracing was more or less useless with Omicron. Right. Um, and I think this is part of a shift towards seeing this as an endemic disease and something that will be with us the way the flu is. Right. Well, and I think that's a point the endemic and sort of it becoming something endemic, I think reflects on something that we maybe lost sight of. And I know this wasn't really didn't touch East Lansing because East Lansing is kind of its own political universe of weirdness, in my opinion, but the sort of whole national it's time to end. We're done with the pandemic. We just need to move on from it. It's like, well, what we really actually need is it to move on from 
us. It's a force of nature. And I think that got lost on us somewhere in this whole deal of that. This is like dealing with a windstorm or the sea levels rising or something like we can't just make it not happen, but we have specific ways to deal with it. And it felt like we, we got to a point where some people were like, stick your head in the sand and it'll be gone. <laughs> and it's not that, but it it's this force of nature, but it is coming close to being a fact of nature and maybe not a force of nature, I guess. I'm not quite sure how I would phrase it, but the fact that this is not, it's not something that someone's controlling the levers to. It's sort of this, this force of nature and that we all play a role in ending it. And it's, I guess, kind of your thoughts on that. Yeah. I, it sounds to me like you're kind of making an analogy with climate change, with kinds of severe weather. Yeah, and I think that could be a fruitful one because we know that if we take certain actions now, we could at least stop what's happening. And I think we're past the point in the pandemic of stopping the virus. Like, we're never going to be able to say goodbye COVID-19. We've eradicated it. I don't think we'll see that in our lifetime anyway. And very few diseases are completely eradicated. I think smallpox is the only one officially declared eradicated the only one i know of that's eradicated so right and other things like polio are so rare at least in the united states but they still exist it still exists but i think there are things that we have steps we could take to learn to live safely with the virus and maybe to mitigate and slow its spread and reduce its worst effects is probably the point we're at now right and it kind of the it's, it's funnily enough all the the irony of the people screaming it's like the flu at the beginning and now it it kind of almost is now because of the different you know i i can foresee maybe 10 years from now 15 years from now some coronavirus covid-19 sort of strain comes through and it's like hey this is we're going to have a bad flu and covid season this year get your boost whatever like i could I'm not a health expert. I'm not going to pretend I know that could happen or not, but I could see something similar to that in the future of it's not something that's gone, but something we know how to deal with. Yes, and I know the Omicron variant was considered less kind of strenuous on the body of those who received it, but my understanding was it's for people who vaccinated, and I think we should probably in this conversation acknowledge I personally don't consider myself an immunocompromised person. No, neither Um, do I. And I'm not as young as I used to be, but I'm certainly not in the demographic where I would consider COVID life-threatening if I contracted it. I do know that some immunocompromised people and people with children under the age of five feel a little left behind. So I think Andrew and I probably are low risk and vaccinated and boosted. But for those who can't have someone in their household who can't do those things, or if you're on chemotherapy and your vaccine isn't going to take in the same way. And I think that's something we have to think about too. And I I don't have the answers. Andrew and I aren't public health officials, but I think that's something... Um, that as a society, we have to consider how we're going to treat our vulnerable too. Oh yeah. And I think, you know, we we very, you touched on it. We very much fit in the 
young, healthy, 18 to like 40, whatever, <laughs> kind of not at particularly high risk of dying from many things at all. So we certainly have our blind spots to how this is affecting people with young kids or someone who is immunocompromised and, you know, not as safe or as comfortable sort of navigating this now as I might be. And I think that's the critical piece going forward because that's how we actually get back to quote unquote normal. Right. And I think, you know, something like going to a restaurant is an inherent risk for everyone involved because even if you walk in with your mask on and remain masked until you eat, you are going to take your mask off at some point to, you know, enjoy your meal something like the grocery store though i try to keep in mind everyone has to go to the grocery store and they might not have someone who can go for them or the budget to use a delivery service as well so i know at least among people i know that's a consideration of like they'll mask going to the grocery store but if they're going to a bar or restaurant they feel that that's a risk being taken by everyone yeah, I mean, that holds up to me. <laughs> it kind of makes sense. Um, is there anything we didn't get to kind of talking about the current state of things with COVID? It's kind of a another one of those not quite sure where things are going. Looks like they're headed in the right direction. That was um, Linda Vale's kind of big takeaway from her briefing that we're kind of past the the main the critical mass of the omicron wave and we're looking again probably to have one of those spring summer lightning people will be outside windows are open obviously a lot more people are vaccinated now and just it's the anticipation even from the health experts are is that we are likely to head into a bit of a a break from at least a surge of covid in a specific variant so knock on wood and remain hopeful for that obviously because i don't i don't think anybody wants to deal with another surge of this at all i think i don't think any of us want to deal with it in the first place but here we are right well i would trust linda vale's assessment more than i would trust anything i have to say and i'm sure that linda would say that's kind of her best guess because nothing yes. is for yeah, certain she was not, she was not a making she was not writing, etching that as the 11th commandment or anything like that. Right. But I hope that's where we're headed as well. And I share her sentiments. <laughs> I think we're all on team less COVID here. That's We can yes. all agree on that. Um, cool. Well, that's kind of all I wanted to cover. Just have a bit of a touching base, less about the virus itself and more about how we're dealing with it at this point and what we can do and where things are headed a bit. So, Emily, I really appreciate this. This was an interesting conversation and we'll find a time to talk about Russia and Ukraine. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we could find one discuss that. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Thanks again to Emily for joining me. And I want to get into a bit of a news roundup because besides the receding pandemic, there has been a fair bit of news happening in East Lansing these past few weeks. So let's get up to speed. City Council voted on Tuesday, February 22nd to approve a contract with the Giammarco, Mullins, and Horton firm to serve as the city attorneys on the municipal side. This means GMH will advise council about things like the Open Meetings Act, draft ordinances, and handle civil litigation, and more. Councils previously made clear that they intend to split the position into two roles, municipal advisor and prosecutor for 54B District Court. 
On Tuesday, there was a proposed agreement between the city and Robert Easterly to serve as the city's prosecutor. However, council voted to defer taking action until that proposed contract on that proposed contract, excuse me, until March 8th. Council member George Brookover took issue with what he said was an incomplete agreement. Other council members wanted further clarity about what precisely the hourly rate for Easterly services would be, $135 or $145 an hour. But because Easterly is already working as the city's prosecutor with Foster Swift, the outgoing firm, he will presumably continue to work as the city's prosecutor until he is officially hired as the city's prosecutor. Find out more about that story at eastlansinginfo.news. At their meeting a week prior, city council discussed what to do with a plot of city-owned land in the northern tier. The essence of that conversation was to aim big. The matter came back before the planning commission for a preliminary discussion on Wednesday of this week, when it became clear that it is likely going to be some effort to retool or reimagine the future land uses for that property and the northern tier at large. It also seems possible, if not likely, that more residential uses might be on the table. That discussion at Planning Commission was also to take a closer look at the Housing Near-Term Action Plan, something that came from the housing study. Several of the points in the Near-Term Housing Action Plan call for increasing housing options for people squeezed out of the East Lansing market, like older people, young single professionals like yours truly, and people making a low to moderate income. The discussion about the Northern Tier and Housing Near-Term Action Plan will begin more in-depth at the March 9th meeting of Planning Commission. You could read more about that at eastlansinginfo.news. And some older news worth mentioning is that the city will be stocking menstrual products in city-owned restrooms. The change came after council voted to do so earlier in February. As such, menstrual products will be available in bathrooms at parks, the East Lansing Public Library, City Hall, and the Hanna Community Center and any other city-owned bathroom. Mayor Pro Tem Jesse Gregg said after the vote to approve the measure that she hoped businesses around East Lansing took this as a cue from the city to begin providing menstrual products themselves. And finally, you might have heard me mention that Emily is now Eli's acting executive director. That is because Eli's board of directors approved a sabbatical for founder and executive director Alice Draker. Alice will not be fully AWOL. You'll still catch her from time to time on this podcast and reporting in Eli, but it feels worth noting that Eli has gone through a bit of a staff shakeup, but a staff shakeup that we are very much excited about and one we were certainly, certainly prepared for. So shouldn't be any noticeable changes over from your favorite nonprofit local news organization. But that's all we've got for today. I want to then again say thank you. And for East Lansing Info and Impact 89 FM, I'm Andrew Graham. And thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.